Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ollie at the wheel to my Lewis Hamilton at the wheel. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm uh, I'm very, very well. Actually, a bit a bit sad I've missed the Derby game, um, but we'll get onto that later. But um, you know, could could be could be could be better. Could be better. Yeah, what's it? First win in in quite some time and uh, you've missed it. Yeah. Yeah, happens, doesn't it? On the show this week, we have Ben James from the Cardiff Podcast. View from the Ninian. How's it going, sir? Yeah, not bad, thank you. How are you guys? Oh, superb, thank you. Very superb. Good. Also here is Charlie Wise from the QPR YouTube channel, Talking Rangers. Charlie, you all right? I'm very well, thank you. Very good. Good, stuff. good, good stuff. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games from this past weekend in the championship, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with the infamous Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. We'll kick things off with Cardiff's first game under Steve Morrison, where... He isn't the caretaker manager. <laughs> they beat Preston 2-1. Ben, this for me was the dictionary definition of a game of two halves. Yeah, I, th- I think we, we've kind of made a habit of that under Morrison. We you know, we, the, the, we go back to that Stoke game where we were awful in the first half and then managed to turn it around in the second half. Um, yes, they were similar. We, you know, not, not, not the, the best first half, nothing to write home about. And then in the second half, we have a, a first goal for James Collins and a first goal for Mark McGuinness. So it was, uh, it was quite a good day up at Deepdale for us. Yeah, well, one of the most incredible stats from this season is that Cardiff are yet to score a first half yeah. goal. And we're 18 yeah. games in now. Um, ben, when you go to the games, do you ever think to yourself, may as well just stay in the concourse and have a pint during the first half? Yeah, it does. It does. It, you know, it, it does come into mind. And I think I, I was at the Blackpool game where we scored just after half time, and I managed to miss that goal because I was queuing for a beer. Um, I'd left at half an hour to start queuing for a beer, and I was still there at sixty minutes, I think, uh, which is probably more to do with Blackpool's uh, uh, bar facilities than anything else. Um, that is a bizarre stat. Um, I, I, and I know we've we've had a season of bizarre stats because at the start of the season we weren't scoring anything but headers. Now we can't score goals in the first half. And I think yesterday's both goals were headers potentially as well. So we're kind of uh, reverting to type really under Morrison. But um, maybe, you know, small steps. We won a game yesterday. We won two games in a row. Maybe next week we can, uh, we can score a goal in the first half. Well, you talk about small steps. It was a very young side yesterday, wasn't it? The front three was made up of two 19-year-olds and a 20-year-old. And then in terms yeah. of the young talent coming through at the club, Ben, considering you've now got Morrison in charge, who was obviously the under-23s manager as well. This must be a pretty exciting time to be a Cardiff fan, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think, you know, as Cardiff fans, we've been clambering for that kind of um, young talent coming through for years. We, you know, we had a good run back in the sort of 2000s with people like Ledley, Gunter, Ramsey, obviously the the, the big names that came out of there. And then we came, seemed to have had a, a kind of quiet period where some players kind of troubled the first team. We had people like Ben Nugent who played a couple of games, but then disappeared quite quickly. Now it seems like we do have a real core of players coming through. And you're right to point out the, the front three yesterday. I did, you know, when you look at it like that, it's Colwell, Zimba and Davis. It was Zimba's first game. He's been banging them in in the under 23s. Uh, Colwell's probably the, the golden generation, um, you know, the standout player of this golden generation. I think Isaac Davis came on against Fulham and I think he assisted the winner in, uh, um, in, a, in, a, in a previous game against Huddersfield, potentially, um, with a brilliant cross. Um, so I think we we're in a really good position. I think it's it's exciting because at the end of this season, we've got a lot of our players coming to the end of their contract. People like Flint, Pack, Morrison, Volks, and they're kind of probably on the older age of the squad. And if we can start blooding those youth players to come through and replace them that way, then it's it's going to be a cost-effective way to replace a, a real core of our team. 
I'm a big fan of Isaac Davis because he played a key part in my Leamington team on a football. Oh, manager. did he? Um, so yeah, he's a he's a real he's a real stalwart in uh, my household. And after the game, Justin Preston midfielder Alan Brown said, "We're not deluded. We're in a really bad place at the moment," which is not particularly what you want to hear from your captain, is it? Or maybe it is. Yeah, it's an interesting choice of words to say they're not deluded. Uh, I should hope not. Um, yeah, it was, it was a frustrating game from Preston's perspective because they're in control in the first half. There's an opportunity to capitalise on it. The goals they conceded, um, no matter who's the manager of Cardiff, you know what you're going to expect from set pieces because they've got some they've got some big, big players to aim for and um, they didn't defend them very well. Uh, and they just lacked such a cutting, cutting edge in that second half. Really frustrating from uh, from McAvoy and, and Preston. And yeah, interesting choice it was from Brown. Don't, don't know, not really sure what, he, what he's saying or trying to get out there. Well, I think what he was getting at was that the club it's in in itself isn't in a really good place at the moment because they were actually booed off at a full time as well and he's certainly under pressure isn't he definitely definitely and um the likes of McAvoy as well you know when you're losing games at home like that it's going to crank up the pressure even more but the players it comes down to the players as well as I say you've got to defend better in those situations they didn't they threw the game away yeah, definitely. Just finally, Ben, we've been getting plenty of grumbles from Cardiff fans after me and Justin both said uh, <laughs> that, uh, that uh, Cardiff haven't been too great under Morrison so far. Do you get where we're, where we're coming from or do you think we're just two very cynical men? <laughs> I, you know, I can say both, can't I, while I'm here? Um, I think... I know. I think you're. I think there is an element of that. Like I said, we go back to that first Stoke game, and yeah, we drew three all, and it was a brilliant second half. But the first half was woeful. You, you know, you went three. We went three nil down as, as quickly as you like, really, and it was it was quite um, quite worrying. And I think he's got some good results, but I still think we need to become a ninety minute football team. I think that's the problem at the moment. Yes, they pressed in control that first half, and then in the second half we turn it around. But we need to start games well. And it's, it's been a problem, I think. For many managers, I think under um, under Harris, we never started games well. I think under McCarthy, there were times where we didn't start games well. We don't score in first halves. So therefore, there, there is a problem there that needs to be addressed. But I think small steps. I think people are happy with Morrison, large by and large. I think he's the right man for the job at the moment. And I think you can see it in the players that they love him as well. And I think that's something that Cardiff fans, are, I think, are more worried about at the moment. The players seem to be really enjoying playing for him. They seem to be smiling again. And I think that's the, the key thing at the moment, rather than the kind of 90-minute results, 90-minute uh, performances. It's definitely better than when you were last on the show a few weeks ago. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The upturn <laughs> And it's still well in the McCarthy era. Um, yeah, yeah. On Friday night, QPR beat Luton 2-0 thanks to goals from Chris Willock and Charlie Austin. Uh, Charlie, what did you make of this one? I thought it was a great performance. Um, I think it was sort of, it was a bit shocked because we normally start so poorly after the international break um, and to come out how we did um, and... And sort of dominate the game, bar the, I, th- I think I think it's fair to say possibly we dominated it. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. My keep your hat on. I think Luton had chances throughout the game, but that was sort of the quality between the the two sides. That was kind of the deficit was that Luton had sixteen shots to QPR's eight. Only imagine for them to put four on target, they could barely hit a barn door for the throughout the ninety minutes. And QPR had the quality to to convert the two chances. You saw Chris Willock's fantastic goal, Charlie Austin popping in at the right moment as well. And that was kind of you know I think the game could have gone both ways in terms of. The chances that the both sides had, but as I mentioned, the quality was there for QPR um, individually, and that's what got us three points. Yeah, that's pretty much spot on, isn't it, Justin? Luton just could not put away their chances, and that's not the first time we've said that this season, is it? 
it's yeah this this not excuse but this reasoning has cropped up three three or four times you go back to that Bournemouth game where uh, they could have gone one nil up or, or, or pulled it back to one one and, and and Bournemouth got the other end and score I think um QPR took the wind out of Luton sales with uh, the goals and the times that they came and um yeah the frustrating thing is they come away thinking we probably could have got a result had we have put chances away but Charlie's right the quality was there to see from from QPR and they were the deserved winners Chris Willock's goal was particularly nice. Wanted Charlie having the wherewithal to know where the keeper is before dinking it over him. I've been singing his praises constantly in recent times. <laughs> and for me, he's been QPR's best player this season. Would you agree with that, Charlie? I think I would, yeah. I think um, there's a lot to be said sort of the partnership that he has with Ilias Chair. And I think there's such a great dynamic duo. But I think for me, Chris Willock is, has been our best player this season. I think it's been a, it's been a real progression with, with Chris Willock. We've, you know, we've seen in... In, throughout sort of the last um, 18 months or so what he's capable of we've seen it in glimpses but he's just got better and better every single game and we're sort of really seeing him bring the quality now and the more consistency what we've wanted a bit more in product it's now four goals and I think three assists now this season and he's capable of you know getting into double figures double figures for both of those um, but you know that that moment of, of brilliance where He's going away from goal. I mean, Sluga, I'm not no idea what he's doing there. He's got the ball, he's going away from goal. The angle's getting more difficult for Willock. He's got two defenders either side of him, and he's decided it's a good idea to run to the edge of the box and make it easy for for I mean it's, it's not an easy finish at all. But um yeah, I think Chris Willock Chris Willock's fantastic. He's I think he will be in the Premier League next year. I don't probably think it will be with QPR. Um I think he's he's that good. And I think as well. Something that I don't really think has been mentioned about too much is is his progression of his upper body strength. He's so difficult to get the ball off, not just because of his trickery and how good he's with the ball at his feet. He, he just seems so strong, so confident. Um, and yeah, he's he's a flourishing at QPR at the moment. Yeah, 100 percent Um, Charlie, would you say QPR are yet to really hit top gear so far? I'm yet to have been blown away by a QPR performance this season, but here they are, and they're still sat in sixth. It's a great one I heard you talk about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I, I, I definitely do agree. I think we haven't really maybe got our second or third gear. I think, you know, we, we've seen in glimpses throughout the last 12 months what QPR are capable of. Um, but there's just not that consistency. And, and I think you're right. I don't think we've kind of... We're not really playing as well as we can play. We've seen in real glimpses. I think we saw it in, in the looting game. We saw some little spells where we can really intricate with the play. And, and I think the problem with sometimes is that we can be so good, but we can also have no purpose for passing at points where it's just too much of it is between the centre halves. We need we don't have enough possession in in that final third. Just it's disappointing because we know what the squad's capable of. We've got fantastic ability, but that point is now is is we're a crucial point where we've lost some big players and in real numbers as well. We've got five or six players out now, and it's going to be a test of can this, this the depth of this squad come through. But um, I think there is the ability there, but we're just not we're not doing it consistently enough. Consistently enough, and like you say, we haven't really blown anyone out of the water. But yeah, you know, we're sat we're sat three points off West Brom in third, and and uh, we're still sat in a really nice position. And it is strange that um, we're sort of where we are, and but we like you say, we haven't really blown anyone away. So yeah, there's more to come from Keeper, I think. Yeah, interesting. Really interesting. Ben and Charlie, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, me and Justin are going to go around the grounds and we'll kick off with Barnsley. It's the dawn of a new era under Poya Aspargi. He was in the stands to watch his side lose 4-1 to Fulham. But how are Barnsley fe fans feeling about the new man? Let's ask Carlo van der Waltering from Red Report. First off, Carlo, I suspect you weren't expecting too much from this game. 
never really uh, expected a result against a well-run and well-performing Fulham. Um, you have to look at the goals and do you say we were poor or do you say they are real title contenders to go up? I suppose we expected a little bit more from Barnsley, especially now the news that Poyeras uh, Bagi is taking over as from Monday. Um, but it was disappointing nonetheless, I think. Um, I think we expected more fight, more bite from a Barnsley team. And let's hope that uh, Asbagi can install that in him as he takes over the team from tomorrow. Yeah, what have you made of the appointment of Asbagi, considering you've been quite critical about uh, Barnsley's approach of appointing unknown managers from Europe? Uh, really impressed with the appointment of Asbagi. I think he, he fits what the club is trying to achieve, especially with the younger players. Um, his style of football very much suits, you know, the Barnsley FC that we saw last season. Um, he's, he's not rigid formation. Um, you know, he's got a really good assistant as well. So that, that fills us with hope. You know, they didn't rush. Um, and I think they got the man that they really, really wanted. I know they went after him a couple of seasons ago and they didn't get him, uh, but they've got him now. So, yeah, it's a, it's a clean slate for the Reds, but... Um, work to be done because obviously we find ourselves in a very uh, awkward predicament at the bottom of the table or near the bottom of the table but there's a real good um, yeah there's a good feeling there's a good vibe about the appointment of Poyeras Bagi as former Sweden under 21 coach uh, you know brings a lot of experience um, to the club and let's hope the players can respond yeah what would be your one bit of advice that you'd give to Asbagi look at the players Look at their playing style. Look how we played last season and play a system that suits the players rather than trying to force the players to play in a system that doesn't suit them. So use the strength, go back to the press. Thank you, Carlo. Yeah, I think he's covered everything from a Barnsley perspective, hasn't he? There's not much we can really comment on when Asbargi's not even had a game in charge yet. But instead, we'll just lap up how good Fulham are, shall we, Justin? This was just effortlessly class, wasn't it? It was from, I wouldn't say from start to finish, I thought Barnsley started quite brightly, but as soon as that bright spell ended after about 10 minutes, Fulham just, it was shooting practice, wasn't it? It was chance after chance being created. Um, wide areas, they were so dangerous in wide areas. I think um, three out of the, the four goals came from um, came from out wide. Um, and I, I saw that, um, I saw someone comment that Fulham are a one-man team with Mitrovic just because Mitrovic scores the goals. But when you've got the likes of Cabano, Wilson, even Fabio Carvalho, when, when I saw him, in the lineup, I was very surprised, but he came in and, and, and slotted in effortlessly. Um, uh, but when you've got that much supply, they're not a one-man team, no way, because they defended really well as well. So yeah, it, it, it's rubbish that, but they were they were brilliant here. Fulham being a one-man team is the biggest load of bollocks I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> Justin. That is absolute nonsense. Uh, but Mitrovic is now on 21 goals. Give it a rest, mate. We get it. You're really good at scoring goals. Ooh, look at me. I've got 21 yeah. goals from 18 games. <laughs> I tell you what, Justin, if you want to see something funny on who scored, they have a football for each game that a player scored in. If you look at Mitrovic's last 10 games, it's just footballs everywhere. He's got 11 goals in seven games. It's just completely miraculous. But the most interesting thing from this game for Fulham was that Fabio Carvalho is back in the team. His first start since August. And since then, he's had a big hoo-ha about his contract, hasn't he, which expires in the summer, which I think is the reason he hasn't been playing for the club. Um, but they've been claiming it's because of an injury. But I 
don't particularly believe that in all honesty. Mm. But it is a timely reminder that he's an astonishing, astonishingly talented player. I guess in a way they might be trying to just milk out any money they can maybe in January, considering they're going to lose out on a lot of money if he's not going mm. to sign a new deal. An interesting question for you here, Justin, from Russ Goldman. Are Fulham better now under Silver or should they have found a way to keep Scott Parker? What do you think? Um, I I think this Fulham squad needed someone like Marco Silva because the amount of attacking talent within it needed a manager who was going to unlock it. Um, I don't I didn't rate his Everton side, but they were very good going forwards. Um, but now Fulham have found that balance. So for for me, I think Silva's a better choice for this squad than Parker is. Parker was too pragmatic at times, too conservative, um, but it's working for his Bournemouth side. Um, just because one manager is performing well elsewhere doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for your team. Um, so for me, Silver's the best choice for, for Fulham and Parker's the best choice for Bournemouth. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I think Parker's style just did not suit Fulham really, mm-hmm. whereas um, Silver is certainly getting the best out of this Fulham team, isn't he? How they will do in the Premier League would be an interesting conversation because I don't think... I, I think Parker would suit them better in the Premier League than Silver would. Yeah. But um, that's not something that we have to figure out now, does it, considering we're only a third of the way through the season. Uh, Justin, let's move on to the biggest shock of Saturday afternoon, which came at Huddersfield. They beat West Brom 1-0 and a really tidy showing from the Terriers. Yeah, Huddersfield had the better chances throughout the game. They created the, the, the more clear-cut opportunities. Did I call this midweek? I'm sure I did, by the way. I'm sure I called a Huddersfield win. Or maybe a surprise on the cards. I want to yeah. say I did, yeah. Um, but that's mainly because West Brom typically don't start very well after the international breaks. Um, and as well as that, Huddersfield's home record this season is, is pretty good. They've got four clean sheets um, in a row now uh, at home. And West Brom have lost the last four away games, including this one. So it just married up to that sort of win. But going back to the performance... Yeah, Huddersfield were, were were miles better than West Brom. West Brom were just just off the pace. Didn't look um, great at all. There's, there's not really much to to say other than West Brom. It, they they don't look like a top two side, and um, performances like this show that. Well, West Brom had loads of half chances, but nothing particularly concrete. The best one they had was that Matt Clark header, but really, I thought it was just a really good defensive showing from Huddersfield yeah. and it really is night and day from how it was last season isn't it, isn't it? they were like a sieve at times <laughs> but Corbrand's obviously looked at it and identified it as an area that needs improving the most bringing in Pearson and then in particular Colwell has been a massive stroke and that's been the main reason why mm. I think that's that seventh now I've got my doubts whether they'll actually stay there but the club has really made great strides in the past few months and I think you've only got to take your hat off to Corbrand for you know making that happen in particular Colwell I mean he's been fantastic <laughs> hasn't he he really has been a rock at the back for someone so young as well um, West Brom obviously weren't helped by Jake Livermore being sent off here but still disappointing and there's now nine points separating Fulham and West Brom already Tom Hunt on Twitter asked us is Valerie Ishmael's job at risk the board have been quick to make decisions in the past what do you think Justin? I think it'd be wrong to sack him and that's mainly because I look at this West Brom side and I don't think it's quite where Ishmael needs it to be. You look at that front three, for example, Carlon Grant, the exception, but the the likes of Hugo, Hugo's a good squad player, but he shouldn't really be starting for a team chasing the top two. Um, I, I was a fan of the signing, but he's not a, a starter. Um, and then Callum Robinson hasn't quite found his place in, in the Ishmael side yet. Um, they, they are missing key components that could really make this tick. And I think that's mainly down to that front three. I think everywhere else, they're pretty much sorted. 
it's just that front three. It's putting chances away. They're twenty shots on goal here and, and two on target. It's not. It's not good enough, is it, for a team chasing the top two? You look at Fulham and how many goals they score. So no, I don't think Ishmael should be sacked. It needs time. It needs. He needs a couple more players in January and and see where they go from there. Well, I, I, I'm not saying he should be sacked, but I'm trying to look at reasons why it's not Ishmael's fault. But everything I go through, it ends up going back to the manager because it's got to be said, West Brom have had some really poor performances in recent weeks. They were completely outclassed against Fulham and then they were poor against Middlesbrough and Swansea. And then for them to be limited to just, to just half chances against Huddersfield isn't good enough either, is it? So the group of players he's got here should be doing better. I mean, there's £70 million worth of talent, but they look like a team trying to scrape out points every game. Mm -hmm. And I don't really understand why. I don't buy the argument that they don't have the players that he needs for his style of play, particularly. I think you've either got to alter it to suit the players there, or, in Ishmael's case, you just simply don't take the job. Because if you look at the squad and you don't think it's going to suit you, then why would you take the job, considering he could probably get another job? elsewhere at at another club similar to West Brom's level Um, but yeah this West Brom side should be keeping pace with the top two but right now they look miles off and I quite frankly I can't see it being anything other than Bournemouth and Fulham in the top two this season and I don't think you can rule out West Brom necessarily falling out of the playoffs considering they have been so bad in recent weeks I think they're too good for that to happen but Mm -hmm. Considering the way things are going, I don't think it's completely out of the question. Justin, let's go to Hall 2, Birmingham nil. This game just simply marred in controversy. Uh, Lee Bowyer was absolutely fuming after the game because of Hall's first goal. And you can understand why, can't you? Ryan Longman's dribbled it to the byline and then over the byline. And my God, the ball is miles out. It's not even one of them where you've got to see it in slow motion to be able to tell that it's out. It's so far gone, Justin. Mm-hmm. And sure, the Birmingham players should be playing to the whistle. Uh, but considering how far out that ball has gone, I can understand why they've stopped. Because in professional football, you'd expect that to be given, wouldn't you? But no, honestly, it was just... If you're a linesman and you can't see that ball has gone out, then you may as well hang up the flag now and do another job. Because that is an appalling decision. You've uh, you you have nailed it pretty pretty well to be honest. It is a it is a terrible decision both from the referee and an official because I think the referee's got a, a fairly good sight of it. Obviously the linesman's got to make the decision as well. I think the 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 linesman was the same linesman who made the mistake for the um, Blackpool goal against QPR, um, the one that he ruled out. So yeah, there's there, there's previous there with with um, sketchy decisions, but nonetheless. The age-old the age old adage is is play to the whistle. You, you've got to play to the whistle. The, every single player in that box stopped dead, and that's that for me is is um, is criminal at a professional level. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I don't. I'm yeah, not a big fan of it. Justin, it's there's, so far there's no gone. buts. There's no buts. It was it's so, far, so gone. far gone. But you're banking on officials who you know make mistakes on a weekly basis, and there's no VAR. You do not stop. I'm sorry. You just do not stop. The referees in this division, we know, are not good enough. So, uh, sorry, the officials aren't good enough. So you have to keep going until the whistle, until that whistle goes. That, that's that's the uh, that's the gripe for me. I'm not sure. I think while they should have carried on, I can't completely blame them because the referee has got to see that, or the linesman more specifically should be seeing that. But there was another decision later on which even Lee Bowyer couldn't argue about. Uh, Gary Gardner with an incredibly daft sending off. First off, he does this stupid sly tackle mm-hmm. when 
he was never going to get the ball in a million years. Plus, it's on the halfway line with a million players between him and the goal. So completely needless. And then ends up leaning his head into Josh McGuinness. And keep in mind, this is in the 43rd minute as well when the score is only 1-0. So uh, after that, Birmingham didn't really have a look in after that. But fair play to Hull. They got three points here. Did have a bit of luck on their side, but <laughs> they've still got to do what they've got to do and have moved out of the relegation zone. Still a long way to go, isn't there? But... How do you rate their chances of staying up, Justin? It's listen. It's back-to-back wing wins for them, and that's that's massive. And when you've got two players in Longman and Keen Lewis Potter, if they keep providing chances like that, I know Longman's assist went out of play, but he's still he's still got into that position. He's still taking players on. He's still got the ball across the box. Same with Keen Lewis Potter. Got the ball to the byline, stuck it in the back post, and and Wilkes was there. They keep creating chances like that. They will keep getting results, and um, yeah, it was it was a really good performance. It's something for them to build on. How do I rate the chances of staying up? I still think it's quite slim because I don't think there's enough quality in the squad for them to do it consistently. But if they play like that more often, they will pick up points. I think they have got enough quality in the squad. I think that attacking three of Honeyman, Keane Lewis, Potter, and Wilkes is one of the most exciting attacking trios in the division it is just the rest of the squad is a bit lacking in certain areas and would need we have to say it again the manager isn't good enough to manage at championship level despite getting the win here I think once this takeover is done I if I was a Hall fan I'd be hoping they get a new man in um, who can get the best out of those players and if that happens I think Hull have got a good chance of staying up because mm. um, it's now looking quite tight at the bottom isn't it you've got those <laughs> Three teams above Derby who have taken up a relegation spot already. Um, and then other teams could very well get dragged in. I'm looking at quite a few who are sitting above them at the moment and thinking, you may not be out of it just yet. Let's move on to another game, Justin, which had controversy in itself. Sheffield United nil, Coventry nil. By no means a classic, but the big moment was a potential penalty on Callum O'Hare. What did you think, Justin? There was definite contact um, and it was a penalty, but the fact that O'Hare's gone down um, almost a couple of seconds, not a couple of seconds, but he's gone down after the challenge, which it convinces the referee that it's a dive. I just think it was a um, a clumsy decision from O'Hare to, to, to go down after. He should have gone down as soon as he felt the contact, but no, nonetheless, contact was made. It was a penalty. Yeah, it was a penalty. It, it, it... O'Hare was let down by himself once he, he took yeah, another step exactly. after yeah. the challenge and then went down. But it should still be a penalty because he's not going to get the ball, yeah. is he, after that? Yeah. So, and that's I think that's the main frustration for Coventry, because they've been bloody unfortunate with decisions, haven't mm-hmm. they? They had that Yokuez one a few weeks ago where he's been hacked down in the box but didn't get anything because he tried to play on. And then O'Hare's done the same thing here. And then keep in mind, Coventry, as far as I'm aware are the only championship side who have had a player bans this season for <laughs> diving. So they get punished for going down too easily and then don't get anything when the players try to play on. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised Mark Robinson has got any hair left because I'd be pulling it out everywhere because <laughs> it is so infuriating and also a bit ridiculous, really, considering this has happened on more than one occasion now. Um, but either way, I think it is a good point for Coventry considering they've been struggling for results on the road, haven't they? Justin, you weren't too impressed with Slavisa Kanovic's side, were you, in this game? No, I, I was so unimpressed that I even messaged you, which doesn't happen often. Um, no, you avoid I, each other at all costs. I, absolutely. This is, this, is a, this is a task for me to uh, stand you for an hour, a bit, an hour and a bit. But um, from for Sheffield United, uh, the first half was possibly one of the worst... Displays I watched from my home side this season. It frustrated me. There, there seemed to be bereft of ideas, which leaves me thinking: 
two things. Are the players good enough or did Wilder just work wonders? And is Jukanovic the right man for this for this side? Um, I said in the past that the Sheffield United team needs refreshing. That still stands. But for me, Jukanovic has to get more. And I do think if he doesn't improve things drastically in the next few weeks, uh, he's going to be on borrowed time. Um, because I do think the squad is, is is good enough. It still needs refreshing, but it is good enough to, to get more results. And as I say, other than the last 30 minutes, um, I thought Sheffield United was second best in this game. And it's... Really is poor to say that, given how how um, how much talent they have in the squad. Yeah, hard to argue with, with you. Really, I think there were plenty of times in this game where they just kind of bypassed the front line and tried to do an aimless long ball. Yeah, and I, I just didn't really understand what the general plan was um, from Jukanovic and the players. So. It is frustrating. I feel like they need to get Morgan Gibbs-White on the ball more. He actually had quite a few touches in this game, but he did. He, he, they need to get him in advanced areas more often because for me, he's probably one of the most talented attacking players in the division. If you get him on the ball as much as possible, he will hurt teams. Mm-hmm. But at times, he was having to come deep to get the ball and not affecting the play enough. So I, that's one aspect of it, but there are plenty of others where uh, you, you've got to question what, the plan is with Sheffield United mm-hmm. at the moment and they continue to linger in the bottom half of the table and it's hard to see them climbing up it in the near future really uh, just yeah. let's have a break after that we'll talk about a whole lot of draws and a whole lot more controversy back to the second tier podcast a late equaliser from Keshi Anderson saw Blackpool draw one all away at Swansea another game with loads of controversy Swansea with multiple penalty shouts were they hard done by Justin Peach the 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 final one on Laird where I can't remember who tackled him now um Nonetheless, it was that was a definite foul. It was quite a clumsy tackle. James Husband, wasn't it? Um, that was a that was quite a bad one. I thought it was quite a naughty challenge actually. Um, the first two, I'd be angry if they were given against my team. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, definitely the final one on Laird was was an absolute stonewaller for me. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The the referee's positioning for that final penalty shout, he's not in the best position for me because he's like on the other side of the penalty box in mm. a way. It's hard to describe, but the other side of the D is probably what I'm trying to say. Um, so I, I don't think he was in the best position for that. But yeah, Swansea definitely hard done by. And uh, I think Russell Martin was saying after the game, they're going to compile a video package of all the decisions gone against them and send it to the uh, FA, which is fantastically petty. I'm a big fan <laughs> <of that. laughs> Joel Pirro with an absolute scorcher. Ten goals this season now, which in a normal season, would have him in the running for top goal scorer, Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that's not the case this season, considering Mitrovic is a different beast. But the really impressive thing is he's got five with his right foot, four with his left. And he's a real two-footed striker, isn't he? But in general, he's just a brilliant, brilliant talent. He's um, He's got the, I wouldn't say he's got the whole package. He's a very good on-the-shoulder type forward, isn't he? He gets in behind really well. He gets into good positions. And um, and most of his finishes are, are, are a touch and then and then shoot, which is um, good confidence and good composure. It's what you need in a forward. He's still only 21, 22. He's very, 22. very young. 
very, very young player and only a million pounds as well. Um, Swansea have got an absolute gem there. I think um, if they can keep the supply into him, because he's not a striker who, I mean, he, he created the goal for himself here, but it was an absolute worldie. And, but I don't think he's the type of striker who will create chances on, by by himself. So if he's got the likes of Patterson um, and Techum, Laird, the wing-backs, etc., all creating chances for him, he's going to get a hat full of goals. Yeah, he's, he is a really, really class player. Someone I'm a, I'm a big fan of, considering I didn't really know too much about him when uh, Swansea signed him at the start of the season. Uh, Blackpool could have snatched all three points right at the death, but just wasn't to be. Keshi Anderson got the Seasiders goal, and he's someone you really like, isn't he, Justin? Yeah, I, I absolutely love Keshi Anderson. I'm not going to analyse his performance. I'm just going to tell everyone how much I love Keshi Anderson. He's a... He's a f- fantastic winger he's 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 not scared of taking players on and we saw with him um hanging around the edge of the box waiting for that ball to drop okay a bit fortunate with um with the finish but nonetheless right position put his foot behind it and and, and grab the equalizer it's um he's a top top winger and and one i think um, blackpool might struggle to keep hold of same with josh bowler as well Interesting stuff. Chris Wilder had his first game in charge of Middlesbrough. They took on Millwall and drew one all. Uh, possibly a disappointing result for Borough, but I'd say there were certainly promising signs, wouldn't you, Peachy? Yeah, I'd, um, I, I, you pretty much nailed it. The, it. Promising. I think it's frustrating that they conceded the goal the way they did. Um, but there's certainly something to build on for Wilder, and there's a little bit of a, um, uh, a bit of a taster of what what Borough can do with him. It was always going to be a frustrating game against Millwall, um, but nonetheless, it's a it's a good point against a team who are in and around the same same position as Borough. Could they have taken all three points on another day? I think had the referee have uh, wised up to a couple of the decisions in the lead up to the Millwall equaliser, they probably would have. I will point out for anyone who is just listening to the podcast for the first time, we don't usually slag off referees in every single game, but this weekend has been a particularly bad one for uh, standards of officiating in the championship because there was so much that happened in the lead up to that Millwall Mm. equaliser, wasn't there? Duncan Watmore went down after a challenge. I don't think it was actually a foul, but the assistant... He's He's going crazy. He's going mental. He's just just swinging his flag around. And then suddenly (laughs) he pulls it down and that's like nothing happened. And then play just goes on. And then Mason Bennett is on the ball and forearms Paddy McNair in the face. And the ball eventually does a bit of pinball. Yeah, and the ball eventually does a bit of pinball and goes in off Sol Bamba. Varda wasn't too happy with the officials in this game. You'll be surprised to hear. Uh, Looking at it tactically, we saw the 3-5-2 from Borough which was always going to feature, wasn't it? And I suspect will be a constant feature during the Wilder era. The starting 11 that we saw wasn't too dissimilar from what we saw under Warnock, really, was it? We had a a baller back in the team. Tavernier was still playing in the centre and uh, Peltier went into the back three. So a couple of tweaks, but nothing too drastic. And I think uh, it's just going to take a bit of time for Wilder to properly imprint his... Uh, philosophy on this Borough team but also a good point for Millwall they're just three points off the playoffs going about their business rather silently but promisingly at the same time Uh, Tyrese Campbell's first goal in nearly a year helped Stoke to a 2-0 victory over Peterborough the result not much of a surprise particularly is it considering Peterborough's away form still only the one game they've not lost away this season Uh, there was a goal disallowed though at at 1-0 I should say and I don't think Stoke were particularly at their best in this game it was a it was a pretty bland game. I thought Peterborough actually played pretty well, all things considering. Um, they went one 0 down again. Quite a, a, an unfortunate way of doing it. Vrancic deflected strike. 
Um, I don't think if that doesn't go in, I think it's a much closer game than um, than it was. I think the 2-0 flattered Stoke a little bit, actually. I thought probably a draw might have been a fair result in this one. But um, from a Peter perspective, um, you're pretty you're pretty pleased, like Peas there. Um, uh, but they had chances. And um, yeah, as I say, in Fordrick to go 1-0 down. But from a Stoke perspective, you, you, you're quite happy coming away 2-0 win um, with 10 men and um, not playing particularly well. Yeah, Sam Surridge was sent off in a particularly odd incident. He was shoved into the advertising hoardings before trying to do a sort of rhinoceros gore. It was all very needless <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But I think you're pretty spot on by saying the 2-0 win flattered Stoke a bit. Probably make an argument to say um, they were lucky to get anything from mm. this game, really, considering Peterborough um, probably had the better share of the chances because Stoke barely created anything substantial and obviously having that goal disallowed which should was rightly disallowed but the shot that went in beforehand only just uh, bounced <laughs> off the line didn't it so uh yeah Stoke not great but got a 2-0 win so won't be too many complaints from them at all fresh from a six-point deduction Reading drew one all at home to Forest Forest probably should have got all three points here Justin if Lewis Graben had packed his shooting boots Packed his shooting boots or packed his passing boots? I thought he should have squared that. Oh, yeah, that, that one. Uh, that chance. Yeah. Well, if he had his shooting boots on, then he would have scored. Oh, yeah, he would have right. scored. But if he had his passing boots on or at least looked up, then, yeah, he definitely should have squared it. Because he had two players who had an open goal, basically, didn't they? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating from, from Forrest. Lewis Graven's a goal scorer, so he's always going to go for goal. But from from me, I'd be disappointed if um, if I'm not if I'm not receiving that. Because, uh, as you say, it's quite an easy tap-in. But as you say, Forrest created quite a few chances um, to, to win the game. Didn't quite didn't quite happen for them. Uh, and I think Reading, I think there's there's positives for Reading because I thought they improved as soon as Andy Carroll came on. And then he went to a 4-4-2. Even Pushkas looked quite dangerous as well, which is, again is a positive. He looks better in a two than, a, than he does as a lone striker. Well, Carroll came on after 61 minutes and will firmly be on Carroll watch for the next few weeks because I'm very interested to see how he does <laughs> considering he's only got a two-month contract at the Medeski. Uh, Philip Zinknagel's goal for Forest, absolutely class. Really enjoyed watching Lovely. that. I mean, the strike alone was brilliant, but the run as well to mm. get in that position was really, really nice. After having six points taken away, Reading now sit two points above the bottom three, just four points from a possible 18 for the Royals. So despite what's going on off the pitch, they're not doing too well on the pitch either. Bristol City won, Blackburn won. The main surprise here was that Nigel Pearson was in the dugout on Thursday. It seemed unlikely that uh, he was going to be there, but he took training on Friday and got a point here after Bristol City's winless run at home. They're now unbeaten in two. Ashton Gate is a fortress again. So there we go. Uh, ben Barrett and Diaz also had a very nicely taken goal here as well. And then finally, the Sunday lunchtime kickoff between Derby and Bournemouth. We're recording this episode while that game is going on, but we've been keeping an eye on it in the background whilst chatting to let us know how it went. Here's Justin from the future. Ooh, this is Justin from the future, back again with another Sunday fixture. And Derby inflicted Bournemouth's first defeat, first away defeat, that is, of the season with a fairly comprehensive win. Looked fairly comfortable throughout the game. I know Bournemouth went 2-1 up, but Derby had the measure of, of Bournemouth, especially in the press, and um, picked up well, three decent goals. Jason Knight on Mark for the first one, criminal defending from Bournemouth, uh, and Lawrence with the uh, it, one of the 
best individual goals of the season. And you've got Graeme Shinney getting on the wrong wrong side of Jack Stacey as well. Really good performance from Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Frustrating for Scott Parker, who will have hoped for a better display um, back from the international break. Justin, you... It's it's Ryan from the future, by the way. But you haven't even touched upon what is one of the worst goals ever scored this season. Trying to blank it out of my mind. It was quite terrible. Kel Roos really did cock up, didn't he? It was beautiful, but awful at the same time. But also, Bournemouth's second goal was one of the best team goals you'll see this season. It, it was a perfect mix of how not to play out from the back in the first one to having one of the best team goals pretty much of the season in the second one. It was incisive passing, which is what you expect from Bournemouth. And when you score good goals like that, it needs to be rewarded with three points. And Bournemouth just weren't good enough defensively, individually defensively in the second half. Keep in mind, Bournemouth have only conceded one goal away from home this season as well. And they've just conceded three to a team who have been goal shy all season. So a real turn up for the books, really, isn't it? Um, how, how are you feeling about Derby's chances of staying up? Have you got a bit more belief after that, Justin? I, I I do have a little bit more belief, I won't lie to you. I think if they can pick up five wins out of the next 10 games while teams above them don't get results, obviously need a bit of luck. I don't see why they can't at least make teams worry above them. You're such a hopeless optimist, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, 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 I would eternally be a hopeless optimist as a Derby supporter. Thank you, Justin, from the future. Now it's time for us to do Who Knows Wins. This is the app where you chuck in a few quid to enter a league and whoever correctly predicts the most results wins the pot. In our Championship League this weekend, the win pot was £300 and it was won by one person. Congratulations to Malvin Terrier. They got six correct results, so walked off with the jackpot. Justin, you got three and I got two. Not brilliant from us, but uh, we go again. So make sure you download the app now and join our league. You can enter using the code SECOND. Let's give our predictions, Justin, for next Saturday's games. Yes, we have got midweek games, but we only do our league each weekend. Um, so we'll start off with Birmingham Blackpool. Which way do you see that one going? I see that going Blackpool's way. Blackpool win. I shall go for a draw. Bournemouth Coventry. Uh, Bournemouth at home. Yeah, Bournemouth. I'll go Bournemouth. Huddersfield, Borough. Ooh, um, draw. I fancy Middlesbrough, you know. Don't know why. Hmm. Hall, Millwall. Uh, oh, God, that's a difficult one. Millwall. I'll go draw. Luton, Cardiff. Luton. I'll go Cardiff. Peterborough, mm-hmm. Barnsley. <laughs> that's a terrible clash. Uh, I'll go Barnsley. Go. New manager bounce. I'll go Peterborough. They're at home. Stoke Blackburn. Blackburn. I'll go Stoke. And finally, Swansea Reading. Swansea. I shall also go for Swansea. So that's Who Knows Wins. Download the app now and make sure you get involved. As always, please get involved responsibly. And when the fun stops, stop. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And let's start off by talking about Derby, shall we, Justin? Derby's administrators have released the Statement of Affairs at the club and it's revealed they have £625,000 in the bank and are in £83 million worth of debt. They owe money to a lot of people. St John's Ambulance, Derby City Council, a local taxi firm, Man City, Middlesbrough, agents, football and trade creditors. Oh, and probably most crucially, HMRC. Fair play to Mel Morris, Justin. 
because he has been running a masterclass in how not to run a football club. Yeah, I, I went self-employed in uh, in January and um, it was quite a big moment for me. And I, I will add that I've taken... Mel Morris has been a very good you know, teacher in, in how not to, to run your own business. And as you say, I, I don't understand how you just don't pay any bills whatsoever. It doesn't make any sense at all. He's He's got loans from uh, MSD Dell. He sold the likes of Bogle and, and Maxlow. Where has that money gone? Why has he not been paying anybody? He's blamed COVID, but he's literally not paid anyone. It's, oh, yeah, before I get bleeps, it's terrible. Well, considering, you're quite right, he, they've sold Bogle, they've sold Low. I'm trying to think of other players they've sold. Tom Ince, Will Hughes over the years, mm. and there's still an £83 million worth of debt. So if it was, if they hadn't sold those players, they'd be in even more. It's quite, just boggling. It is. It really is. Um, well, it comes as there's now a petition for Mel Morris to be stripped of his CBE, of his services to business. It is so beautifully petty. I love it. Meanwhile, I US... it. <laughs> have you actually? <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> I'm bitter. Did, did you start it? I don't, unfortunately, no. I wish I had the, uh, the, the mind to do it, the, uh, the foresight to do it. It's a good idea. Brilliant stuff. Meanwhile, US businessman Chris Kirchner is pressing ahead with his attempt to buy Derby County despite the club's latest points deduction. It is quite heartening, isn't it, that uh, he is still willing to go ahead with buying Derby despite everything that's going on at the club. And he seems like a fairly level headed bloke as well, doesn't he? Compared to others who have been linked with Derby, absolutely. Um, a credit to him for, for being being this interested in the football club because if I'm a, a multi-millionaire there's, there's absolutely no chance I'm taking on that level of debt and the amount of money football clubs shed so he's he's got to have a passion for it and um, that's the key thing for me and uh, hopefully the, the deal gets gets over the line I mean whoever it is um, I know some of the other interested parties so hopefully a deal does get over the line but as you say Chris Kirchner um, seems to be a positive voice at the moment and that's good he's, he's not been put off by Derby because yeah it's a, a head case yeah, spot on. The EFL says it is willing to hold constructive discussions about the introduction of an independent regulator if it is tied to a more equitable distribution of the game's finances. There's been calls for one after recent issues with financing, ownership and, of course, the European Super League. Justin, this is something you're quite keen to see, aren't you? Yeah, I think it, it needs to happen. I think football clubs can't govern themselves. EFL clubs govern themselves. Premier League clubs all vote to um, essentially govern themselves and make make their own rules. And it's and it uh, and what we're seeing now is it's just a uh, people who who don't really know what they're doing from a uh, I wouldn't say a business perspective, but football clubs are shedding money. Having an independent regulator in is is going to put rules in place. So. Teams don't overspend, um, and, and and essentially govern the ungovernable, which which needs to happen. I don't think it is a case of they don't know what they're doing. I think it's a case of they're so bloated by their own self interest. Their intentions are, yeah, terrible. their intentions aren't what's best for English football or the respective league they're in. It's about what's best for ourselves. So when we talk about you know distributing the finances more from the Premier League to the EFL, that's not going to happen because the Premier League won't let it happen because mm-hmm. they'll say, right, we're getting all this money. Why, why should we give it to all you? So you need to have an independent regulator who's going to put the foot down and say, right, this is what's happening. 
because otherwise it's just frankly not going to happen. Hall right back Josh Emmanuel has been made unavailable for selection due to medical reasons. He spent Thursday night in hospital but has since been discharged. The club say Josh will continue to be monitored by our medical department to help him make a full and speedy recovery. And concerning story, Justin, of course we wish him all the best and hope that it's not too serious. Now onto the new section of the show dedicated to new contracts because there's been quite a few in the past few days, Justin. Blackpool boss Neil Critchley assigned a new deal until 2026. Brilliant news for the Seasiders. Yeah, I expected it to drag on um, a little bit longer. So I'm, I'm really impressed that it's been done before Christmas, done before the January transfer window because you know players aren't going to want to join Blackpool potentially in January if the the manager's future is uncertain. So yeah, future proofing future proofing the manager is um, a step forward in the right direction and um, real commitment to the cause from Blackpool. So yeah, really impressed that they've got it over the line. Well, his reputation as a manager is just growing at a <laughs> startlingly quick rate, isn't it? He's taken a mid-table League One side and made them into outsiders for the playoffs in the Championship. It's quite remarkable. Even when we weren't particularly high on Blackpool's chances of staying up at the start of the season, we always said that Neil Critchley is a top manager mm-hmm. and he's proving to be even better than I thought he was. I will yeah. be honest, I don't think Blackpool fans will be too happy with me saying this, but I still don't think the squad is um, actually that good as a whole. But Critchley is getting the best out of every single player there and they're just a real unit. And I think he'll definitely end up being a Premier League manager. So for Blackpool to tie him down to an extra four and a half years is a massive boost for them. Swansea midfielder Matt Grimes has put pen to paper on a new four-year contract. His old deal expired at the end of the season and he was being linked with a move to the Premier League. But this is a massive boost for the Swans. Yeah, it surprised me a bit, actually. But I thought Matt Grimes was was destined to to leave at the end of the season uh, as a free agent. So again... Um, it's it's a real statement of intentions from Swansea to get him tied down to a new deal, um, and also, you know, from from Grimes' perspective, he fully believes in um, the the cause and, and project under Russell Martin. So yeah, big thumbs up all around, I think. Absolutely, Middlesbrough winger Isaiah Jones has a new contract, keeping with the club until twenty twenty five. He's been one of the real breakout stars from this season, hasn't he, considering he yes. was playing non-league football last season, but has been class for Borough this season. And uh, West Brom left-back Connor Townsend has signed a new deal until 2025. Someone I feel like doesn't get enough praise from people outside of the Hawthorns, because he's a mm. top left-back, isn't he? I'd probably even go as far to say probably one of, if not the best left-back in the division. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's, he's a very good player, and um, I think he came from Scunthorpe, um a few years ago uh, so yeah he was a top top signing and um, yeah it's, it's it's good to tie him down as you say he's, he's got a very good left foot and um, he, he creates a lot of a lot of width for West Brom especially in his system so yeah he does get um, doesn't get enough praise as you say yeah he's really really good really really talented so to tie, uh, to tie him down till 2025 real good boost as well and then sticking with West Brom we'll finish with the award for the stupidest ban ever issued Justin West Brom defender Dora O'Shea has been handed a three match ban by the FA over an incident that happened in August he got involved with one of the stewards in the aftermath of Semi Ajayi's injury time winner in the 1-0 victory at Peterborough now you might wonder why that's so stupid well, he's been injured for the last two months and isn't expected to be back until New Year. So he's not going to play anyway. So what's the point? That's a good point, yeah. It's, <laughs> so uh, Yeah, it's weird, weird, a weird one, yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense of that one. Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give you three questions on Twitter because we want to get your thoughts on the all goings-on in the Championship. So we'll start off with this one, Justin. Firstly, is the race for automatic promotion over already? Yes or no? I don't think you can really say it's over until about April in the Championship. So I don't think it's quite done yet, no. I find it hard to argue that it's not, to be quite honest. Um especially considering, you know, there doesn't seem to be much challenge for Bournemouth and Fulham. So unless there's a massive, massive collapse from either of those two, then I can't really see anyone else getting in, unfortunately. Uh, Which is not great, what to say, when the Championship's meant to be the most unpredictable league in the world, but here we are. Uh, 76% of people said yes, the race for automatic promotion is over already. 24% said no. Will Derby get the record for the lowest points tally ever? Uh, 23 points, that is, from Rotherham a few seasons ago. Yes or no? I don't think they will. I'll be honest with you, I don't think they will. Yeah, considering they've actually been doing all right, despite the points deductions, if you, like, have the table down without the points deductions, then they'll still be outside of it, won't they? So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think they'll get over 23 points, I've got to say. Uh, 62% of people said yes, they will get the record. 38% of people said no. <clears throat> Excuse me. And finally, who is the best Spider-Man? Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire? Tobey Maguire. If you say Andrew Garfield, you've got no taste. If you say Tom Holland... Go and watch the Tobey Maguire movies. Top, top Spider-Mans. I have watched the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans recently because I'm so excited I. for the new one. Um, I hadn't watched them previously, so getting involved in it now was a... Um, was it your first time watching them? Yeah, yeah. Just never got wow. around to watching them when I was a kid. Yeah, wow. yeah. So I've got around They're to watching weird, them recently. They? Yeah, when you watch them now, it's very odd. <laughs> yeah. For me, Tom Holland is a very good Spider-Man, though. He's a very, very good Spider-Man. Plays him perfectly. Uh, I actually thought Andrew Garfield was also a good Spider-Man, but doesn't mm. get any praise at all, really. 43% of people said Tom Holland. 42% said Tobey Maguire. And finally, 15% said Andrew Garfield. Um, I'm very, very excited for the new Spider-Man, I've got to say. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ben James from the Cardiff Podcast, View from the Ninian, and Charlie Wise from the QPR YouTube channel, Talking Rangers. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the, eight, name the managers who have managed the most championship games, and Ben would say Neil Warnock, that's one down, and Charlie would say Mitt McCarthy, that's another down. But if Justin would say Poyas Bargy, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. I hope your geography is good, fellas. Can you name me the eight championship clubs which are nearest to Big Ben? Um, I'll read that again. Can you name me the eight championship clubs which are nearest to Big Ben? Uh, ben, is your geography any good? Well, it's, it's one of those weird things. I know a lot of capital cities because of football and football manager and things like that. But um, I don't know about distances, perhaps. So um, I've got a few ideas already. So hopefully I can answer this one. I'm interested to see how this goes. Um, we'll start off with someone who lives in London. Shall we? Charlie, we'll go to you first. Can you name me a championship club, which is nearest to Big Ben? I don't live in London. I'm going to be used well, to You don't this. live in London. Um, oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, is it eight? 
That's eight. a hateful eight. Eight Sorry, clubs yeah. which are nearest to Big Ben. All right, let's go for QPR. I was I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. QPR. So. QPR is the second furthest away from Big Ben. It's six miles away. Um, right. Ben, we'll go to you next. Um, I, I, I'll go with one of the other obvious ones. I think Millwall. Yes, Millwall is the third nearest, just seven miles away. So you've got two down so far. Justin, you're next. Yeah, we've done London-based distances already, I think, on on these quizzes. So we, they might be easier than uh, than we think. Uh, probably just curse myself, but I'll go with Fulham now. Yes, Fulham is the nearest, just under six miles away. So you've done all the London clubs, unsurprisingly. Oh, <laughs> so now uh, you've got to venture a bit further out. Charlie, your go. Um, Reading? Yep. Reading is 42 miles mm. away. That is the fifth nearest to Big Ben. Uh, ben, you're going. Um, we've done all the Halfway London ones. Through. I'm going to go Peterborough. Peterborough is 85 miles away. That is the sixth nearest to Big Ben. So you've got five. You've got three left. You could absolutely breeze through this, but uh, maybe not. Justin, your go. Yeah, Ben's, Ben's done us all a favour here and... Uh... <laughs> He's, he's created this circle around London. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luton, Luton, go with Luton. Yeah, oh, Luton yeah. is 35 miles away. That is the fourth nearest to Big Ben. Um, you've got the two left and they, they're the two which are furthest away in the context of this quiz. Um, Charlie, your go. I'm on the ropes here. Um, <laughs> Derby? I don't know. don't know. Derby is 127 miles away, which is too far for this mm. quiz. Um, I think it's duh, 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 the 11th furthest away uh, from Big Ben. So Charlie is out. There's, that means it's down to you two, Ben and Justin. Oh, You've got two remaining. Ben, it's your go. I, I think I'm going to, I think Derby being too far suggests that it could be a, a closer Midlands club. So I'm going to go for Birmingham. Birmingham is 120 miles away, which is the 10th furthest oh. club away from London, well, from Big Ben. Um, so that means it's down to Justin, and you've got two oh. left, JP. Can you get them? I'm, I'm diving in headfirst with Bournemouth. Bournemouth is the 8th furthest away oh. from Big Ben, so 105 miles away. I mean, you've got one more, Justin. What is the 7th? Championship club furthest away from Big Ben. I'm trying to think what's the what's the first club well, after Luton? What's the first club after Luton you come across on the M1? It's Coventry. Coventry City, surely. I, I thought you might have gone Bristol. It's too far west, surely. Bristol City is 120 miles away. Coventry is 100 miles away. So, Justin, you're absolutely right. You have conquered Simon Grayson's hateful eight just in the nick of time. How do you feel, Justin? Yeah, quite happy. My M1 knowledge is that better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Grayson always gets the better of me. <laughs> yeah, ben, I, I thought you might have gone Cardiff. I, I thought maybe... Do you know what I mean? No, I just, I basically forgot anything in the South existed at that point. Because when you said Bournemouth, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Bournemouth well. in the South East. <laughs> I was just like, I was just thinking Midlands only. I couldn't get that out of my head. So um, I should have, yeah. God, no, I, I, I assumed Cardiff was too far away because obviously you've got Bristol in there as well. So just, yeah, I put Cardiff out of my mind for once. Yeah, Cardiff was 151 miles and uh, Bristol City was just 
15 miles too far away to be on this list. But well done, chaps. You have conquered Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. And that is it for us on the second tier this weekend. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We have, of course, got midweek games coming up this week. So we'll be back again on Thursday, me and Justin, to go through all the midweek games in the Championship. And we look forward to seeing you then. We'll give a quick thanks to our guests on the show this week. Ben James from View from the Ninian. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Charlie Wise from Talking Rangers. Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Good stuff. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. 